Thank you, Chelsea. So I have the privilege, honor to, to welcoming up our speaker today, Rose Sweatman. She's been a speaker here numerous times, and she has uh, she was previously a regional leader for Pacific Northwest. She, uh, past couple of years, she's passed that baton to Marshall, uh, but she's been a speaker here quite a few times at our women's events. She's been a mentor, a great friend to Vancouver Vineyard. So please give her a warm welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be back with you. Let's see what I'm stepping on here. Um, yeah, I'm Rose. And for those of you that haven't met me, um, my husband, Rich, is here with me. We live in Edmonds, Washington. We have a huge family, eight kids, 26 grandchildren and counting. So we have a very fun, full life filled with joy that we love, love, love. So it's good to be with you. This morning, um, I'm wondering, how many of you know the story of Rip Van Winkle? Like, yeah, for those of you that don't know that story, I don't really know it well. This is the part I'm getting at. He fell asleep for like 20 years, and when he woke up, culture had changed, the world had changed. He was very confused and it was hard for him to adapt. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about, not Rip Van Winkle, but Leslie Newbegin. <laughs> Leslie Newbegin, you can keep this slide up, Joel. Um, he was a missionary to India. No, no, you can go back to the title slide, it's good. Um, he was a missionary to South India from the UK. He went for uh, almost 23 years, a little over 23 years as a missionary and he did all kinds of amazing missionary work. He, he brought the um, Church of India into Christianity. Well, after 23 years of being on the mission field, he comes back to the UK and he's like, holy moly, everything has changed. We are now in a post-Christian culture. So then the body of his work became his, um, we call it a missiologist, somebody that studies the mission of the church. So the body of his work came across about how do we reintroduce the gospel into a place where the gospel once was flourishing, but no longer? And I would say that if we looked around our culture right now, that, that could be the case for, for some of us. So he began to writing, and a lot of his writings are under the title of um, Faith and Culture. And so he, his thinking was so impressed by what he saw and happened in India that he came back and gave the rest of his life to write and think and work with people about the mission of God in the world. Now you can bring this slide. Here's a, a famous quote by him. The church lives in the midst of history as a sign, instrument, and foretaste of the reign of God. The church finds its identity and mission in what it points to as a sign, what it tastes like as a foretaste, and what it participates in bringing about as an instrument. That's a lot of words, but let me just break this down a little bit. A sign, the church is to be a visible sign of God's kingdom on earth. If we all as the church are following Jesus and to the best of our ability, doing and living out the values of the kingdom, that is supposed to point 
people to Jesus. Now, what is a very sad commentary these days is many places you can go out and interview people and ask them, what do they think about Jesus? And people will say, he's kind, he was loving, he was a prophet. Like they'll say all the positive things about Jesus. He's a good guy. Then you say, what do you think about the Christian church? I mean, depending on where you live, you're probably gonna get very different answers. But most of the time, it's not as gracious as the words we get about Jesus. I don't know if that's your experience or not, but I live in Seattle, that is my experience. So in summary, Nubian sees the church as both a prophetic witness to God's future kingdom, a living out of that kingdom now. So we talk a lot about that in the vineyard, about the now and the not yet of the kingdom. With the, the incarnation, the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus, Jesus brought that kingdom and when he rose from the dead, he started the whole process of new creation. So from the time that he rose from the dead until he, the time he returns, we're in the middle of God making all things new and he calls us as the people of God, he invites us to participate in that mission to take on living the values of the kingdom, to follow so deeply in love with Jesus that we are following his ways and now we are living this alternative community to what we see out in the culture and then that is to be a sign to people that God is alive and well. So I'm gonna stop and pray right now because I just said a lot of words. I drank tea on the way here and I think it had a lot of caffeine in it. So. <laughs> Calm myself down. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, maker of all the work of creation. We love you. As we sang this morning, we worship you, we exalt you to the highest place, and we thank you for your faithfulness, your steadfast love, and your mercies that are new every single day to us. So, Lord, I invite your presence to continue to be with us, to open our hearts, just to receive whatever it is from you and your word today that you have for each one of us and collectively as the Vancouver Vineyard. Amen. Matthew 9.35 says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. As Jesus began his ministry, he first found fame as a healer. The people heard the good news that Jesus was proclaiming, but first they needed a healer, and that's what attracted them. I mean, can you imagine like when it talks about all these crowds following because they're hearing of the miracles. First they're attracted to him because he's doing something. He's healing them. They're getting liberation, freedom, salvation. Jesus' opponents couldn't dismiss him because of the miraculous healings. They actually made accusations such as, he heals the sick by the power of Beelzebub or the devil. Now, in John 3, we see Nicodemus, another character that comes at night. Nicodemus, a, a Pharisee, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was part of the people of God. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, 
for no one could perform the signs, hear me, signs, remember uh, Newbegin, were to be a sign, an instrument, and a foretaste of the kingdom. No one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. See, the miracles of healing were a confirmation that Jesus was sent from God. The healings were a sign of what that kingdom of God looks like. But it was also healing in its own right. People were coming because they were sick. They had infirmities. They were sick and they were being healed. In a world where medical care was primitive or in some places non-existent, you need a healer. Eight years ago this month, I suffered um, congestive heart failure and almost lost my life. And many of you are here that know that story. I almost died, but I've recovered, I've been healed. But I would not be standing here today had not I had the medical care that was available to me and it was some of the newest technology. They, my doctors even told me, if this would have happened to you five years prior to this, we would have put you on a heart transplant list. That's all we could have done for you. So you think about that. If you live in a place where you cannot get medical care or it's non-existent and you hear masses of people are getting healed when they go into the water or they're touched by this, per whatever, Crowds go. We know that even happens today. People make pilgrimages to Lourdes in France because they believe the waters have healing entities. So you can see how important in, in Jesus' day that a healer would be. That's why the crowds were coming. So let's look at Luke 5, 31 and 32 says this. Jesus was talking to the crowds and he's talking to some people um, pointing a finger, and he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus treated sin not as a legal issue, but a therapeutic issue. He didn't come and say, the people need a lawyer. That's why I'm here. I'm going to just go before the court of God. No, he came, he said, I came for the sick. They needed a healer. So, Jesus is the doctor, and he treats the sick with the medicine of mercy. I want you to remember that, that phrase, the medicine of mercy. Jesus curing the sick is the treating of real physical maladies, and it's a sign of what the kingdom of God looks like. So the kingdom of God looks like what? Lepers healed and restored to their community. Leprosy was a dreaded disease in Jesus' time, and those that were afflicted by it were banished from their community. They had to leave their home, their families, and live in a leper colony. I don't know if any of us can like roll back our our minds to 2020 and the famous shutdown where you couldn't even go to the hospital and see your loved one when they were dying. I mean, think about if that was the world you had to live in your entire life because you had some disease that nobody could come near you. Be horrible. If they came near anyone, they were supposed to not eat they were supposed to shout out, unclean, unclean. So not only were you 
outcasts, if you did come and near anyone, you had to warn them that you were unclean. Can you even imagine like going to the mall and walking down the aisle going, unclean, unclean, and everybody's scattering? I mean, it was a horrible life. So he touched them and restored them, not to health, but to community. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's like the maimed and, and lame able to walk. It looks like the man born blind to see for the first time. We sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see because the king has touched me. It looks like the demonized being set free and restored to their right mind. It looks like a, the woman the doctors could not heal and was also an outcast from community, touching the hem of his garment and being healed and now welcomed back into community. It looks like a little girl raised from the dead and restored to her family. That is the ultimate picture for us. That is what we hold on to. This thing that we're a part of, human history, has a trajectory and it's going somewhere. It's not gonna just go around circle, circle, cycle, cycle. No, it is, has a target. It is going somewhere and that is the restoration of all things and the resurrection of all of us, the living and the dead. That is where this thing is headed. And so when we see um, this little girl being raised from the dead by Jesus, that is a foretaste of what is to come. It is a sign of what is to come. So in Matthew 10, Jesus selects his 12 apostles, sends them on a mission to do what he's been doing. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. He sends them out to preach the good news to say the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's like right here is what he's saying. It's come near, it is right here. It's in your midst. He's telling them, go into the cities and tell the people the kingdom of God, God's reign and rule, it's near, it's right at hand. Reach out and take hold of it. That's what they were preaching and then they heal the sick to demonstrate what God's kingdom is like. In the Gospels, we are told they went out and healing happened, but we don't have any account of it because the Gospels focus on Jesus. But when we move into the book of Acts, there are many accounts. Peter and John at the gate called Beautiful, they healed a man that was lame. We have some wild accounts of Peter's shadow healing people. When his shadow fell on them, they were healed. We have some Paul's handkerchiefs taken from his body were healing people. Both Peter and Paul raised people from the dead. These are all signs of the kingdom is here. It's among us. Paul raised a guy who fell out the window while he was teaching. Like, can you even imagine if you're a teacher? Like, you think you're like so great, and then all of a sudden one of your students like falls asleep because they're so bored with you and they literally fall out a window and die. I mean, thank God was so merciful to raise that guy from the dead and we get to read about it. So, raising the dead is a tall order. Okay, I gotta just tell you this real quick. 
years ago, I think it was like 2003, I went on my first mission trip out of the country. I went with, some of you might know Arlen and Barbara Askew. I went with them to Mozambique. Um, Arlen invited me, he was bringing a big ministry team down to go to Iris Ministries, if you've heard of Heidi and Roland Baker, and they have a children's home in Mozambique, like all over Mozambique, and um, Beira, and uh, other places. So I was invited to come to teach in the Bible school that they had in Maputo and in Beira. And how people got to the Bible school, you guys, was they would send teams out into the villages, into the bush, play the Jesus movie, and the first person that like gave their hearts to the Lord and started speaking in tongues, they said, okay, you're gonna be the pastor, come with us. They would bring them into the, the um, center and have them live there for a three month intensive learning the Bible and learning about God and then send them back to their people. So I'm there the first day he brought me to teach in the Bible school and I come into this Bible school with all these beautiful, beautiful African men and all of a sudden I'm super intimidated. Like, I don't, I haven't, well, I don't know what their life is like. I don't, I have no idea what to even say to them about what the, how the kingdom of God comes to them. So I just invited, would one of you wanna come up and share a testimony about what your life is like? Okay, so a man comes up, he takes the mic, and he tells his testimony of how he ended up there. He was in the bush, he died. He was dead for three days. The missionaries came through, prayed from him. He was raised from the dead, and so they brought him in and said, you're the pastor, in fact, you're the bishop. Like, and I just stood there going, okay, how do you even follow that? Like, honestly, I'm from America. I don't eat at McDonald's, but you know what I mean? Like, how do you even follow that story? Like, Anyway, it's just that, so that's a tall order. We in the vineyard love signs and wonders. We love the miraculous. We do never discount miracles of healing. I mean, I, I have firsthand experience at least three major miracles of healing in my life where the doctors literally said, this is a miracle. We don't know how this happened. But, but today what I want to propose to all of you, because of course we will pay, pray for the sick, right? But I'm wondering if there's another way that we are to be the sign, the foretaste, and the instrument of God. There's other ways that we bring this message to those around us. We go out and we heal broken lives. We bring hope for broken lives. Maybe it's through recovery groups doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, social workers, a person who will listen and bear witness to someone's suffering. Maybe we are hold that medicine of mercy that will sit with someone that is suffering and listen to their story without having to fix them or give them a bunch of advice, but to bear witness to their suffering. Maybe that's what it looks like to help bring healing and restoring broken lives. What about touching the untouchable? Leprosy was such a terrible disease because of what it did to people psychologically. You were driven from your family. Are there people in your sphere that are regarded as social lepers? People who others would say about them? I will have nothing to do with that person. Maybe we offered those people grace. I see you. I have hope for your life. We are to awaken the lifeless. 
I want to awaken the lifeless with the message of Jesus. I want people like Nicodemus to come alive, be born again, and follow the healer, liberator, savior. Then we help people recover their true self. Seeing people set free from the powers of evil, sin, and death, and come alive in Christ, there is no drug that can compare to that kind of dopamine hit in your brain when you see that happen. In an age where we're, that's being described as the age of cynicism, age of anxiety, rage, chaos, as followers of Jesus, we are, we are to offer hope. We're not supposed to condemn, we're supposed to offer hope. When we see people that are socially untouchable or we disagree with about whatever, theology, politics, culture, whatever, because it's kind of crazy out there, would you agree? It's a little divisive and polarized. But what I want to offer today is how do we, as followers of Jesus, extend the medicine of mercy to people that we absolutely, even would sort of view as our enemies? How do we do that? I can't. It has to be by the grace of God. I cannot do that in my own strength. And Jesus doesn't ask us to do it in our own strength. He asks us to be filled with his spirit. And when we're filled with his spirit, he asks us to be transformed. When we read what the fruit of the spirit is, oh my gosh, it's gentleness. It's kindness. It's patience. It's love and we could, forgiveness. We could go on and on. But th this is what we carry, our medicine of mercy in order to give out to the different people that's what should be said of followers of Jesus. Can it be said of the Vancouver Vineyard? Are you instruments of healing, carrying the medicine of mercy with you to your family, to those that maybe you are in broken relationship with right now, friends, family, the greater social sphere that makes up your life? Jesus calls us to be a sign of the kingdom. He sends us to be instruments of healing and a foretaste of the kingdom by practicing hospitality, being people that hope. This morning we sang a song and we sang, you my Jesus, my hope and purpose. When you're following Jesus, he is our hope, he is our strength, and he is our purpose. I just want to say one thing about hope. Hebrews 6.19 <clears throat> says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So when the world is on fire and things are chaotic and it's so confusing to know who's right, who's wrong, who's lying, who's telling, I mean, all the stuff, we, as followers of Jesus, we are anchored in this hope uh, we're, this is the hope. We're anchored in the hope that Jesus has brought for us. And it will secure us. It will be firm for our soul. Hope can be seen as a belief <clears throat> in the possibility of a better future, regardless of present circumstances. So the whole world can be out of control. Hope means we have a belief in the possibility of a better future. And that hope is a gift 
The grace of God graces us with that hope. We don't drum it up. It's the idea that things can happen and will improve even if they seem impossible or unlikely in the moment. Gosh, I wanna say something about hope that I think probably would be inappropriate. Go ahead. No? Did you say no? I'm asking my husband, because he's my editor. Yes or no? Probably not. Okay. Um, sorry. Okay, I'll just say it. Because it's so hard for me to submit as a wife. I'm so sorry. Mutual submission. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not at all. It's not. It's, no, no. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to tone it down. So I work with a colleague, and he is a trauma therapist specialist, and he talks a lot about faith, hope, and love, theologically how we deal with our psychological stuff. So he would define hope as an elderly, short little woman who can kick your arse. I didn't say his word. <laughs> but isn't that what hope is like? Sometimes it's really hard to have hope when things seem impossible. Like, you have no idea how this will work out. Now, we can be optimistic about the future, or we can have hope. Optimism too often has no place for doubt, lament, fear. Hope welcomes it all, because hope is real. We're secured and anchored when everything is going wrong. We literally name that before the Lord. People bear witness to it, and then that's where hope ushers in, rather than denying it. Our words are to bring healing and the good news of Jesus. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So I just want to take a moment and invite you all to just maybe close your eyes, have a posture of your heart being open for the Lord to come and fill you today with his medicine of mercy, first for yourself and then for others. So Lord, you come now. We know that you're here. I'm praying, Lord, that you will come and you will fill every person in this room If we have prayer ministry people, I would really love for you to come forward at this time. And the rest of you, if you would just keep a posture of being open to what the Lord might be saying to you. And I want to do that right now. I, wanna, I want you just to, before the Lord, with a heart bowed and open, hold before the Lord the question, what is the mercy that I carry to give out to others?